What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shafe Daily Live. As tonight, unfortunately, we're talking about a Cardinals loss 10-7 to to the Houston Astros at Bush Stadium, a game that was going so well. It was going so well for the Cardinals after the opening inning where Miles Michaelis got into some early trouble, which has been a common theme for Cardinals starters this year. The Cardinals bounce back right away with a three-run home run by Arenado. They score another run there in that first inning. The Cardinals were adding on offensively. It was going well. Even when Houston got back into the offensive groove in the sixth inning a little bit, the Cardinals said, no matter, we'll tack on another run in the bottom of the sixth. The Cardinals had this thing on lock, even though it's a two-run game at that point, seven to five, when you get into the crux of the evening and the Giovanni Gallegos blow-up that he had to endure. Even when he got to that point, the Cardinals were still in a great spot until Gio stepped on the mound. And turns out he didn't have his best stuff tonight. And when Giovanni Gallegos this season has not had his best stuff, it has been a problem for the St. Louis Cardinals. His numbers overall on the season aren't terrible. Let me check his ERA. I mean, 4.83. Tonight didn't help. You go 0.2 innings, you only record a couple of outs, and you give up five earned. Yeah, that's going to tank your ERA. Prior to tonight, though, he wasn't having that kind of abysmal season And he had had games where he was reliable. Last night, he saved the Cardinals' bacon. He really did with coming into the seventh inning, bases loaded, getting out of that jam, and pitching a nice eighth. But at the end of the day, yeah, tonight he didn't have his game. So the Cardinals lose, and it's the kind of game that you just can't afford to lose at this point in the season. That's the reality of where the Cardinals sit. I'll pull up the NL Central standings as the Reds found a way to win. I guess it must have been an extra innings against the Orioles. They're back in first place in this division. Brewers won tonight, Pirates won tonight, Cardinals and Cubs on losing end of games. The Cardinals are now nine games back. You get yourself into a situation where you can't win these games when you've got seven runs on the board. It's just, I mean, they're 13 games below 500 at this point. It is a brutal time to be a Cardinals fan. I understand you've got frustration, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. Let me know what you want to know about tonight's game. No, there's a handful of people here in this chat. Let me know what you're thinking. I'll get into it. The Gallego stuff is going to dominate the conversation. Childish Gambino kicking us off, asking, is Gallegos having his worst season as a Cardinal? I am sure that's the case. Because after tonight with the 4.83 ERA, that is higher than any ERA he's had in his career, if I am not mistaken. Okay, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I am wrong. 4.87 in 2017 with the Yankees. He's basically equaling that. That was his rookie season. With the Cardinals, though, here are the ERAs that he had. Uh, Didn't give up an earned run in a couple of games with the Cardinals right after the trade in 2018. 2.31 ERA in 19, a 3.60 in 2020, a 3.02 in 21, and last year he was a 3.05 ERA. So at this point, with ERA pushing five, I would say that he is having the worst season of his career as a Cardinal. The problem is he was really good at the beginning of the season, And he's been, prior to tonight, pretty good recently. But the in-between has been very problematic for Gallegos and problematic for the Cardinals. And here's the stat of the day when it comes to Gallegos and really the stat of the year. Tonight, when he gives up two home runs, it was the third time this season that he's done that in a game, given up two home runs in a game. As a relief pitcher, that is a very damning statistic. And so there are some criticisms that I think you could carry of Ali Marmel tonight. My bottom line takeaway, though, is I don't know what else Ali Marmel is supposed to do at this point. 
Gallegos has been, prior to tonight, again, I guess I could go back and look at what his ERA was, but prior to tonight, it was in the threes, I would assume. Yes, I can check it on baseball reference. It was 3.0, or pardon me, 3.48 on the season. So it went up about a run and a half. Not quite a run and a half, but pushing a run and a half just from tonight alone. 3.48 put him as one of the more reliable arms in the Cardinals bullpen this season, which is, again, that is not a high praise of the Cardinals bullpen, and that is kind of the point. When you're all Marmel, where else are you going to turn in this bullpen? I mean, you can look at it tonight. The box score is is sitting right there on the screen for the viewers. The situation is Michaelis doesn't pitch that well, kind of settled down, but then gives up runs again in the sixth inning and needs to be rescued, cannot get out of the sixth inning and gave up five earned runs. Not a great night for Miles Michaelis, but because of where the Cardinals were offensively, able to contribute, able to push runs across, seven runs, Ollie said it, Miles Michaelis said it, you score seven runs in this league, you need to be able to win a baseball game. And tonight, the Cardinals were not able to do that as a result of those seven runs, which is, uh, it's it's awful at this point. And Miles said that goes on the pitching staff. Not just Miles, though. It, it goes on Gallegos, unable to come through. But even you get Palante coming into this game, who didn't give up a run, right? He got his out eventually, but walked the first two guys that he faced before, battling back for the strikeout of Kyle Tucker there in the sixth, which was a surprise by the time that it happened. He was 3-0. and It looked like you were about to walk in a run. And he somehow digs deep and battles back. That was all we saw of Andre Pallante, I think for understandable reasons, given the struggles that he endured in that inning. Almost walked three guys in a row, was able to battle back on Tucker to get out of the jam. Chris Stratton comes in and pitches a, ninth, a nice seventh inning. I believe he used nine pitches, one, two, three inning. Hadn't seen him in quite a while, and so a lot of Cardinals fans were, were saying to me tonight, well, Chris Stratton was clearly fresh and effective. Why didn't they go to him in the eighth inning? I push back against that. I got to be honest with you. I just don't buy it. Gallegos has been the Cardinals setup, man. Don't play dumb at this point, Cardinals fans. You're too smart for it. Don't act like you were sitting there. And if you were, then Mia culpa to me. I will give you your gold star. Let me know at Schaefer 12 on Twitter that you were saying before the blow up by Gallegos that it was bad to bring Gallegos into this game. I had heard from some people that Chip Carey, Jim Edmonds on the broadcast television side might have been saying, yeah, maybe another inning for Stratton. And so I think that is maybe what's led to a lot of this. Um, for the for the people who may have been thinking it at the time, I imagine if it was a conversation on the broadcast, then I could understand how you were thinking that was a, a good idea. And for all we know, it might have been. But how many times, be honest with me, how many times before tonight were you thinking, you know what, the Cardinals needed more of tonight, Chris Stratton? I am not trying to denigrate Chris Stratton or say negative things about him. He's a really nice guy. And by and large, in his role, has had a, a solid season for the Cardinals this year. Although, his ERA is 4.19. So if you're going to say, well, Gallegos has been so terrible all year, 3.48 ERA for Gio coming into tonight. Now it's been abysmal because he gave up five runs and didn't even get through an inning. So yeah, it's that's going to do a number on your ERA. But that's why I'm showing this on the screen. You can look at Palante, ERA above four. Stratton, above four. Gallegos, well above four at this point. And Verhagen, still getting four outs without giving up a run tonight, is still above four for his ERA. That's half your bullpen if you're Ollie Marmel. All right? And I guess we could go through the other guys, but Cabrera from the left side, I don't know what his ERA is, but you kind of get my point. Ryan Helsley injured right now. Uh, even with 
the great performance recently of Jordan Hicks, I still am not 100% sure he's below four on the ERA. But I'll check real quick since I've got cabbies. No, cabbies above five. All right. We'll see what we come up with for Jordan Hicks. I think he's around 4.02, 4.05 for Jordan Hicks. So enough of that game. Everybody in this Cardinals bullpen has struggled this year. That is the bottom line of what is happening to this team. It's unfortunate. I've got Giovanni Gallegos' game logs there, but that, I'm not ready to go to that yet. So give me a minute to kind of dive in on that. Everybody has struggled. Generally, we have seen periods from Gallegos that have been pretty good. Yesterday, he was very good. Like I had said, he saved the Cardinals' bacon in the game one against the Astros on Tuesday to come into a bases-loaded spot and get out of the out of the jam and then pitch a nice, clean eighth inning after that. I mean, it was that was what you wanted in game one. Cardinals looked really good. Today, they said everybody was available. Jordan Hicks was available to come into the game. I think a lot of Cardinals fans wouldn't have minded seeing him again, right? But when it came to Gallegos, suddenly I was getting all this pushback of why could Gallegos go back-to-back? They never do that with Gallegos prior to this year, and now they're trying it all the time. I thought, well, this is publicly verifiable. Let's go ahead and look. And so I looked last year, back-to-back for Gallegos happened nine times. Tonight was the fifth time in 2023 where Gio has been asked to pitch back-to-back days. Fifth time of the year. Prior to tonight, you're not going to believe this if you if you had it in your head that Gio was bad on back-to-backs. Four and two-thirds innings in four appearances. Zero earned runs. One run was allowed, but it was unearned due to an error. Had allowed three hits in total across those 4.2 innings. Five strikeouts. Guess how many walks? Zero. Giovanni Gallegos, of all the guys in this bullpen, has been the type of guy where you generally don't have a problem with him going back-to-back. Like, that is not a smoking gun in this situation. So if you had that thought of, wow, back-to-back, how could Ollie do that? Well, he's done it before. He's done it about the same amount of times, by the way, as he did last year. If tonight was his fifth time going back-to-back in 2023... Double that because we're about halfway through the season. That would get you to 10 times they would ask him to do that throughout 2023. Well, they did it nine times last year. That is very comparable, basically identical in terms of pacing out his usage for the season. Now, I think he's probably got more games pitched, I would reckon, than through June 28th, June 29th last year. But I I think it's about comparable when it comes to how many times they have asked Gallegos to go back to back. And he's been effective in doing it. Right, And so it's not just this smoking gun. I will go ahead and, and pull up the game logs now for Geo because I can show you some of these games where this has been the case. We got April 11th and 12th. Uh, the screen may be not big enough to get all of it. Yeah, that's going to be disappointing. I'm not going to even be- mess with the game logs. I'm promising you the numbers are right. You can check it on, on, uh, on Baseball Reference if you'd like to do so. But I was looking at these game logs just thinking, all right, that's not been the case. If we want to paint Geo as this guy who... You know, it gets fatigued, can't go back-to-back, all these things. It just has not been reality. He's actually been pretty reliable in those spots. But what has happened to Gallegos at times this year, and I promise I will get to your comments, be getting them in. Uh, subscribe to this channel for Daily Cardinals content, but I'm going to rant a little bit if you guys don't mind. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. 
and then I promise I'll I'll cut this off in a in a little bit to be able to to do some uh, replying to y'all's comments because I know there's some good stuff out there. It's happened to Gallegos several times this year. Tonight was the third where he gave up two home runs in a, in a single outing. He's given up seven home runs all season after tonight. That's the number seven. So six of those came within those games where it was a multi home run game against him. Three different times it has happened. Two in each game, six. The other one was against Yastrzemski, I think, uh, for the Giants. That was the only time that he gave up just one. I believe that was in the ninth inning. So generally, and I know it's a relatively small sample for it to have happened three times now after tonight, but generally when Geo has been bad, this kind of matches up with the eye test. I think this matches up anecdotally to the way we kind of feel about things. When he's been bad, when he's been off his game, he has been drastically off his game. And so I think you could make a fair criticism of Ollie Marmol to say, you know what, by the time Altuve had homered off of him in the eighth inning tonight for the three-run shot that gave the Astros an 8-7 lead, you've got to be thinking a little bit ahead to know, all right, who's coming up next to be ready out of my bullpen? Because the moment that happens for Gallegos, I think that's deep enough into the inning where you realize he doesn't have it tonight. And so you pull him at that point. That is a decision that I believe Ollie Marmol should have made. I'll call it like I see it when it comes to Ollie's decision-making, but to say he shouldn't have been in the game in the first place when he has been this team setup man with a 3-4 ADRA was one of maybe two guys with a sub-4 ERA, and I'm counting Ryan Helsley among that, but he's not here right now. He's hurt. He's injured. So it's not an option. Gallegos has simply been one of the Cardinals' better relievers. The problem is Gallegos has not been a, a great MLB reliever. The Cardinals don't have any of those. They've got guys that go in spurts where they're really good, but they're inconsistent. That has been the nature of this bullpen all season long. And that's why tonight was the 16th blown save by Cardinals relief pitching this season. All of 2022, they had 17 blown saves as a team. 17. Now they're up to 16, and we're not quite halfway through the season. That's not the manager. That is the bullpen has underperformed. And I do think they have talent in this bullpen. That's something that Giovanni Gallegos said, which and he's talking through the translator. I'm not sure you get a lot of insight uh, from, from him tonight, but he was clearly hurt, heartbroken to not be able to come through for his team. And I want to give Gio credit, by the way. This is maybe something that people don't care about, but I've been told at times that fans do want the peek behind the curtain of the mechanics of kind of what goes on in the clubhouse sometimes. And this is one that I'll go ahead and share. Miles Michaelis was a starting pitcher tonight. His locker is directly adjacent, right next to Giovanni Gallegos. And generally, the way it works post-game is when a starter is is dressed and ready to get going, he's, he'll stand at his locker, and everybody just kind of knows it's time to talk to the starting pitcher. But frankly, a lot happened after Miles Michaelis' exit from the game tonight that he was not going to be the main point of discussion after the game. And so most people were thinking, okay, well, this is a little awkward because Gio is right next to Miles and Gio is grabbing his bags and getting ready to go home. So he's the guy that most people are going to probably need to talk to tonight, more so than Miles, but you do need to talk to the starter. So it was a little bit weird. I was kind of curious what was going to happen, but to Giovanni Gallegos' credit, and he didn't have to do this, he very easily could have snuck out the back door and been gone. Nobody would have spoken to him about his bad outing tonight. He stood and waited while Miles Michaelis answered his questions. And then with uh, with Kleininger, Tehran, the, uh, the bullpen catcher, who also serves as the team's Spanish translator, uh, was waiting as well. And Gallegos, you know, took the heat, took the questions, accountability, all these things that Cardinals fans talk about. I thought that was a credit to Giovanni Gallegos to stand there and, and 
again, inconvenient to him because it was like five minutes later, he could have been out the door and he could have been, you know, could have been in his car by then without a doubt. Credit to him to to say, you know, I'm just going to stand and wait this out because I know folks are going to want to talk to me after, unfortunately, I was part of the reason the Cardinals lost the game tonight. So that's a credit to Gio as a person, as a man. I really respected that from him. And like I said, it, it would have... People would have noticed it, but it would have been awkward to go, Michaelis, forget you. I have to actually go ask Gio about blowing the game. Like, as a human being, that just would have been a very awkward moment. And so it, it didn't end up even coming close to that because Gio just stood there and, and uh, waited for everybody. So I thought that was really big of him. But he has had his games where he has struggled this year. And when he struggles, he struggles mightily, and it tends to cost the Cardinals. You know, there's now a handful of games, basically, where you can chalk up his struggles into those games, and pretty much every one of them was a win turned to a loss uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals because he's in those leverage situations. He's in those big spots. He's one of your top relievers, and when your top relievers aren't performing and you've got Cardinals fans clamoring for the mid-level relievers that are that are mid-relief guys and saying, oh, they should have given him more of a shot, it's not to say that Chris Stratton couldn't have gotten it done, but I promise you this. If Chris Stratton had been run out there for the eighth inning and he blew the game, Cardinals fans would have been all over Ollie Marmel saying, why in the world would Chris Stratton be getting a leverage spot right there? It is the hindsight clairvoyance out in full force tonight, and I'm not trying to get too far on you guys, but it really did bother me because people act like this is so obvious sometimes, and it's not. I do think there are some obvious things about this Cardinals team. It's the fact that the entire bullpen has struggled as a unit. 16 blown saves. Ollie Marmel can pull names out of a hat and should be able to do better than 16 blown saves. So, to me, there are frustrations you can have with him. He left him in too long. The fact that Jose Abreu ends up getting to face Gallegos when Gio was clearly not on his game. He had just left a meatball over the middle of the plate for Altuve. You, in a two-strike count, you cannot be in that situation for Gio. You've got to get it inside more, up more, off the plate, whatever the case is. It's not like it was a full count. In a 1-2 count, and Gio has done this before. Cardinals pitching has done this before. They're the worst in baseball this year. Starters, relievers, doesn't matter. In two-strike situations, they are giving up just an astronomical OPS, astronomical power numbers, giving up hits, hits with risk. It has been a disaster. It's hard to kind of quantify and say, are they unclutch? What is the reason that they're not able to put these hitters away? We've talked about the fact that they don't miss bats. As a pitching staff, they're near the very bottom of the league in terms of missed bats. But like when you boil it down and you look at the two-strike woes of this Cardinals pitching staff, I think it's that and, and a lot of the running with, uh, runners with scoring position woes of the offense that we've seen this season. If you're just looking into the weeds at some of the stats and the underlying numbers, those two things, and then add in the one-run game record, which I think is still like 8-16 and 16 or something abysmal like that, you put those things together and you go, if they just were average, if they were mediocre in those categories, this season's completely different. But as it stands, they've been bad in all three of them uh, at times this season. And so you're 13 games below 500. But it's just one of those situations that I know that people are frustrated with Ollie Marmel. And to me, Ollie didn't have a great post game. I'll tell you that. Like John Denton asked the question about why not pull Gallegos before the second home run can happen. But I think the way that it was phrased got under Ollie's skin and in that position, you're not really in a, in a spot to punch back if you're Ollie Marmel there. If you don't like the way the question was phrased, you know, it, you, you're know, you allowed to respond to it however you'd like. But it, clearly in that spot, he got very defensive. And then John shot back and said, well, it's happened now three times this year. And basically Ollie's 
way of responding was, well, if I knew the second home run was going to come, yeah, I would, I would have uh, done something differently. But the point John was trying to make, and I agree with John Denton on this, MLB.com beat writer, the point he's trying to make there is, well, it's happened multiple times before tonight, and so everybody else maybe did see it coming by that point. But if you're going to tell me that Chris Stratton should have been in the game instead of guy that goes, I just am not going to be on board with that. And it did come up, actually. I asked Dolly Marmel about the notion of back-to-backs for Gio, and I already read off the stats about the fact that he had not given up an earned run tonight, pardon me, prior to tonight, this season, in the second game of a back-to-back situation for him. And that's factual. He had four and two-thirds innings pitched across four appearances, had given up, as I mentioned earlier, one run, but it was unearned, and had not walked anybody, three hits in total. I think all three of those hits did come in the same game where he allowed the unearned run. Every other game, he's been basically perfect on the second night of a back-to-back. And so basically, he's been the type of guy that you want, even if he threw yesterday. It's not like Ryan Helsley where they go, ooh, I don't know, should he go back-to-back? That's not really something they've done. No, they've done it with Gallegos. It's been a a pretty consistent thing that they've used with him. And for whatever reason, he didn't have his best stuff tonight. But it's not like that is a trend that's been going on all year where you say, oh, everybody knows you can't throw Geo in back-to-backs. That's just not really been the case. And so that was what was kind of getting under my skin a little bit with the, I called it hindsight clairvoyance, because if you said it at the time, hey, why not more Stratton? Then fine. And and maybe you were led to think that way because they were talking about it, I was told on TV. But I trust Cardinals fans. You know, you guys are smart. You guys know the game. And so if you were looking at Stratton going, nope, he looked good to my eyes. Don't tempt fate. Leave him in there. That's fine. But Gallegos has been a good setup man in general. And I knew that was kind of going to be the way that Ali Marmel would answer that question if he was asked about why not go deeper for Stratton. So I wasn't going to ask him it. However, when I asked Ali Marmel about the notion of going back-to-back for Gio, he has talked about how Gio's been good. He didn't really answer the question. I think he, he I don't think it was intentionally like not answering the question. I was honestly trying to throw Ali a little bit of a bone to say, hey, this guy's been good in back-to-backs. Can you talk about what it is that makes you like him generally in back-to-back spots? But he just took the opportunity to talk about how Gio has been good in general, in the eighth inning especially. Like, once they kind of said, eh, maybe no more closing opportunities for Gio, he's really kind of settled down and had been scoreless in in a handful of outings prior to tonight. He had been pretty good. But Ali finished up answering my question in a very curious way. He said, if your next question, and I don't know if that was because it was me asking it and he was getting tired of my BS. I, I don't know if it was that or if it was just generally... We had asked about bullpen management, the media in general in this postgame, for like five minutes at this point. And so he says, if your next question is, why not stay longer with Stratton, I'm happy to answer that one too. I think that was just him basically kind of acknowledging, we've talked a lot about bullpen management stuff. Guys, I'm willing to do this, but it feels like we're beating a dead horse here. Which again, I don't think we were. I think it was relevant to be asking these questions and exploring all the different angles because if you say, hey, you score seven in the MLB, in the MLB, why did I say it like that? If you score seven in this league, you need to be able to win the game. That's kind of his bottom line. If that's the case, let's explore the reason that you didn't win by scoring seven. It's because of largely the bullpen and the inability for a guy that goes to have a good night. So I think it's totally defensible to be asking the questions that were asked, but understandably, he's a human. I try to respect that and remember that, when it, when it, especially when it's these tough moments where Ollie Marble's not happy that he's talking about a loss, right? Like, it's unfortunate that it went that way. But in those moments, you try to remember the humanity of a guy. But I do think Ollie, like I said, didn't have a great postgame because he kind of shot back at John Denton to what was a very legitimate question about, yeah, you can kind of sense based on the trends that Gio, when he doesn't have it and he gives up that first homer, 
a lot of times the second one is following close behind. He's given up a homer or more in four games. In three of those now, it's been multiple. So it, it can be an argument that should be made that, well, does it make sense to continue with him beyond that point? That's what I thought was relevant. Like I said, I didn't think the, the Chris Stratton thing was as relevant. I wasn't even going to ask it. But he said, you know, if that's, if that's your next question, I'll answer it too. And then it was kind of like, there's no time to quickly discern. Am I going to just say, okay, answer it? <laughs> because that's the way I was thinking. But Derek Gould shot in with a question that was very relevant. And so, you know, I, I think it's just one of those moments where awkward, not sure exactly where the manager wants to go with this. But Derek shot in with asking about Arenado, which, like I said, was super relevant because he left this game with an injury. He had the three-run home run in the first inning, left the game in the top of the sixth inning with a uh, what they call lower back tightness for Arenado, but hopefully ends up being something that's not long-term. But the reason that it happened, Ollie, in a response to Derek's question there, said that uh, last night sliding into a base is when it occurred. So we're talking about Tuesday night, and then locked up on him a little bit in the middle of today's game, and that's why he gets removed. Again, we've seen Lars Nupar, we've seen Tyler O'Neill, both have back things. Both of them went on the I.L. with it, and we know that Arenado went on the I.L. last season. I believe it was right before the All-Star break, or if it wasn't I.L., it was, hey, I'm I'm not I.L., but I'm not going to be able to go to the All-Star game. And so that was a back thing for him at that point, if I recall correctly. And we were kind of talking about it in the press box, and that was after they played on turf in Tampa, I believe is what it was. And so wondering if maybe the turf from London had an impact, but if Ollie says, well, no, it was last night sliding into third base or whatever base it was, because uh, he, he, I think he scored on that wild pitch last night too. But whatever the case was, doesn't sound immediately like it was something from London, but the case with Arnado is that, yes, he left the game early with a back thing. And so um, rather than risk nobody saying anything else and Derek um, not getting to ask about Arnado, which would have been a, a, a slight on the, the, the whole media if nobody would have asked about Arnado, but since there was a lot going on, it, it, sometimes things slip through. Derek took the opportunity to ask the question, which was was fine. But then Ben Fred, and I don't know if they showed this on TV. I don't believe they did because they didn't post this part on Bally uh, on the Twitter. Ben Fred said, hey, it sounded like you wanted to answer that question that didn't get asked about Chris Stratton. Um, so you're now free to do so. Why, uh, pray tell, did you not stay longer with Chris Stratton? Which, again, he kind of shot that at me. I didn't pick up the mantle because somebody else began asking a question, and so the, the moment was kind of lost. But Ben Fred, recognizing, and I told him after, like, it was good that you did that because Cardinals fans probably wanted to hear that answer. I guess it didn't air on TV anyway, but it did get asked for those who wanted to know. Um, it just came up in a very weird way. Like, I think it would have been asked naturally, but because Ali Marmel made it a little weird uh, by saying, is that your next question? I was like, uh, okay. And uh, because of the way it went down, it was a little bit strange, but... The question was asked, and all he said, Giovanni Gagos has been damn fine, or did has done a damn good job, I think he said, in the eighth inning this season. And so that's why you go to him in that spot, which is basically what I was telling everybody on Twitter. That's his role. He pitches the eighth inning. That's what he's done. You may not agree with it. You may say at this point that it's very clear that Gallegos shouldn't be the eighth inning guy anymore because his ERA is 4.8, and he's continuing to, to have blowups. Last night was a good one. Tonight was a bad one. I don't know for sure that he shouldn't be used in leverage. What I know is, like Childish Gambino has here, and I'm about to get into the comments because I know a few of y'all have them, 16 blown saves in less than a season is unacceptable, and it's been half. It's not even half of the season yet, 16 blown saves. And last year they had 17 all year. 
that's the problem. That's one of many problems with this Cardinals team. And the biggest problem is when you look at the standings, they absolutely do not have the room to be making these kind of mistakes and turning a game like tonight, which absolutely should have been a win, into a loss. These are the standings. They're nine games back. They're six out of their last ten, that's all well and good. It's not enough. If you're winning a game, you can't blow it. That's the rule. That's where it is for the Cardinals at this point. If you want to have any sort of design on maybe this team finds their way back into the conversation for the playoffs, they can't lose games like tonight and still do that. There's not enough time in the season. There just isn't. There isn't. Um, Brandon asking, did anyone ask about how long he let Michaelis go into the sixth inning? Brandon, honest to God, off the top of my head, I cannot even remember because it was such a blur of the postgame. Um, I don't think really specifically that was asked. It was more why Palante in that spot. Were you guys down a guy in the bullpen? What was the? It was a lot of bullpen talk to where I think at that point asking, hey, why did Michaelis get to pitch so long? Just didn't end up being part of the equation. They did talk about how the walk to the eighth place hitter, I think that was maybe a, a, a bad situation for the home plate umpire, but Ollie didn't want to get into that and basically just said, we walked the eighth place guy three times tonight. That cannot happen. And he's right. The walks, the timeliness in, in a negative way of the walks the Cardinals have given up this year have been astounding. It seems like anytime they're giving up a walk, it's like a brutal one that comes back to haunt them. And you didn't think that would be the case ultimately because you still had the 7-5 seven seven to five lead after that inning, but the Gallego stuff happens and then you're, you're toast as a result of that. Now, I do think, before I get into the comments, I want to address real quick, all right, Brendan said that leaving Gallegos in for those at-bats after Altuve was the mistake. What could he have done differently? Well, you bring somebody else in, I think is what you do. Because even if you don't like Drew Verhagen and and you're not going to use him in leverage in general, you're down 8-7 at this point, and it's clear Gallegos doesn't have it because when he's not had it, he's really, really not had it. That has been the story of his season. So you go to somebody else. But I think Cabrera was the guy that they had kind of ready, maybe warming in case, whatever, or he would be the guy because when asked about why not, you know, he kind of blew up on the Denton question about the second uh, home run of the night. And he said, well, if I'd have known, I w- yeah, I would have pulled him before the second home run. Duh. But that's that's not really the spirit of the question. And ultimately, he sort of answered it by saying Cabrera would have been the guy and good matchup for Bregman, but the one that they wouldn't have liked him against would have been Tucker. And then if Tucker gets on, he said, would you have liked that at bat? That matchup of Gio, or not Gio, but Cabrera against uh, Jose Abreu? No, was the kind of uh, asserting comment that Ollie made about it. I don't know if that's true. He's got a lower batting average, I think, against lefties this year than he does righties, but Abreu has had a bad season in general. And so maybe they're saying, look, we're not just going to look at this year's splits um, because we know what he's capable of doing from past years, and it's just not a good matchup to have him in there against the lefty Cabrera if that inning should get to the Abreu spot. That's fine. I still think you should have moved him. I, you, you take Geo out, and you have your bullpen ready just in case things go off the rails, which it looked like they were beginning to do even before the Altuve home run. Like, it wasn't great. So I think you've got to have a level of preparedness of what to do if and when S hits the fan. Where do you go from there? If Cabrera was the only guy, then then fine. I, I acknowledge that you don't want him facing Tucker, and I guess you don't want him facing Abreu either, but... Like I said, lefty, righty, it hasn't really mattered. And uh, Abreu sure found a way to, to take G.O.D. So there's that part of it. But 
my thing of it is, even if you don't love the right-handers that are in the bullpen at that point, if it has to be a righty, then consider Verhagen. Consider somebody else um, because Drew Ver ended up being just fine tonight. And Geo, you could just tell at that point, didn't have it. So that's where Ollie messed up to me. But by that point, you're already down 8-7. So would it have made a huge difference? Maybe not. I tend to believe that you're down one. Offense is a little more engaged in those latter innings than down 10-7, down three. Down three, it was like, all right, we're going home. You could just tell. They weren't they weren't going to mount much of a fight in the bottom of the eighth, bottom of the ninth at that point. But if they're down one, maybe it's still in the balance, and so you get a little bit more out of your offense. That's the only thing I could wonder if if maybe that should have been uh, the spot that you take Gallegos out of the game. It may not have made the difference, but to say that Gallegos should not have been in the eighth inning to begin with is not something that I can really get on board with because as recently as last night, he was fantastic in the eighth inning was great in the seventh to be able to, to get the, the line out to the left to get out of that jam. was great in the eighth. And all season in back-to-backs, he has been good in those spots. Has been able to bounce back quick. It's not been a problem. It's it's just, that's what you do. You're a manager. You don't say, well, Chris Stratton looked really good. Maybe we go to him because he would get ripped. He'd get annihilated in the media, in the social media. If he would have gone with Stratton, who's maybe his fifth best reliever, fourth best reliever, whatever it is at this point. And he blows the game. Now you say, well, what's wrong with Gio? Can he really not go back-to-back? I am telling you, that is exactly the way it would have played out. And so that's where a little bit of the frustration was for me. Let's get into the comments, though. Make sure you guys like this stream. I haven't asked yet, and so that's why we only have 10 likes, I think. If y'all could like this video for me, would be amazing. And if you're watching on uh, Thursday or or a date later than uh, the the live stream is being recorded here early Thursday morning slash late Wednesday night, Comment on YouTube, like the stream, let me know still. I still go back and read the old comments, even though uh, we won't be live at that point. Make sure you guys are doing that and let me know what you think. Will says the entire pitching staff is just not doing it, and that is absolutely true. You know, Miles didn't have a great start tonight. Prior to tonight, I think on last night's B-Shape Daily, I talked about the fact that 40% of your rotation is reliable at this point. Montgomery and Michaelis. Whereas we don't know if Flaherty's really healthy after the hip thing, and he's been inconsistent anyway. Wainwright's been, uh, you know, bad. And uh, Libertor has not been good either. So you basically have 40% that you can trust. Well, Michael has took a step back tonight to uh, to have the game that he had. Give it up five earned runs. It's not ideal to see. It would have gone unnoticed. It would have been just fine. But, I mean, a 4.44 ERA is just is mediocre. It's, uh... Eh. It's frustrating, right? Because he was good against Washington. Cardinals lost that game last Wednesday. That was right before the uh, the London trip. But he was bad in New York. So, like, that's now two of the last three anyway. It's just what the Cardinals have been. They haven't had the pitching this year. People should have saw it coming. A lot of Cardinals fans did see it coming. And nothing was really done. You just kind of have to shake your head at this point because it is what it is. Whether or not they're able to kind of find it from a pitching staff perspective, I don't know. You're halfway through the season. We've seen glimpses that if they put those glimpses together more regularly, starters and bullpen guys, you could have a good second half. It's theoretically possible. But Ollie Marmel was asked, how hard is it to not, or, or he's, actually the question was, how hard is it to get your guys in the bullpen all firing at the same time? He said they haven't done it. It has not been the case, and that's really a, a, a big mark on this season in, in a negative way for the way the Cardinals have played. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, Jordan Hicks just absolutely not doing anything that made sense, walking every first batter that he that he faced. 
admitted that he wasn't really locked in. This was earlier in the season. That was around the time that Gio was pitching well, right? For April, he had like a one ERA. Gallegos did. But now we're seeing Jordan Hicks really find his confidence, but Gio gives up five runs tonight, gives up two bombs. It's happened three, two other times this season that he's given up multiple home runs. It's just the consistent. Mean, Ryan Helsley has been having good games and then bad ones, and now he's hurt. Palante, hit and miss. These guys just haven't been consistent. And there are days where it happens. Yesterday, you only needed two of them, and it was Gallegos and Hicks, and they, they both look good. But now another, another day goes by, and you don't get the consistency from the bullpen. Everybody on this list has an ERA of over four. I mean, you're not going to win a lot of games that way, especially when you're trying to cover for a rotation that's not been that good. That's how you end up with 33 and 46. That's where the Cardinals are. That's the long and short of it, folks. And I just have a hard time going, yep, Ollie Marmel sucks, dude. How does he not know which guys to put in? Well, because he's not a real clairvoyant. And the hindsight clairvoyants on Twitter have got to understand that it is not as simple as looking at what happened and going, you know what, you should have done the other thing. I don't respect that. I don't respect that move. And it frustrated me tonight. But again, more frustrating than that is the fact that this Cardinals team can't get it together. So I'm sorry if I'm harping a little bit too much on the fans, but it was like, dude, Chris Stratton, that's that's your white knight that you're going to say, hey, I mean, you got to know Chris Stratton's going to be. And, it, and it's like I say those kind of things, and it makes me feel bad because Chris Stratton's a good dude, and I'm not trying to act like he's this terrible player. He's fine in his role. His role is not the eighth inning. His role is not high leverage. If it is, that's fine too, but you're going to get the bullpen that you're going to get as a result. Like you're not going to be a strong unit. You're not going to be a playoff-bound bullpen unit if Chris Stratton, who's ERA, even after a good outing tonight, is 4.19, if that guy is the one that's obvious to everybody he should be in the eighth inning as a high leverage role, then I think you're going to, over the course of time, math is going to tell you you're going to get similar results because 4.19 is not a setup man's ERA. It's not a closer's ERA. Yeah, he looked good for an inning tonight. I just, I don't get behind that. If you're saying it beforehand, that's fine. But also, if you're saying it beforehand, what made you think that Gallegos wouldn't be able to get the job done? Back-to-backs, he's been good. Lately, he's been good. It's just one of those things. The Cardinals are damned if they do and damned if they don't this year. That's the way it feels. Give me one second. Take a drink of water. Maybe coffee. I do have some coffee over here, which is kind of crazy. It's 1 a.m. But I'll get into your comments here. Just a quick break for water. All right, let's go ahead and jump back in. I'm going to scroll to the bottom of these comments to try to get some of the more recent ones. Steven says, unfortunately, it may be as simple as bad teams find novel ways to lose. And how much longer can we deny that this is a pretty bad team? Heavy sigh from Steven. Yeah, I agree. It's a bad team at this point. And if they don't like that characterization, because there have been times in the past where I'm I'm pretty careful, and, and not because it's not to say that I'm not, you know, willing to say what needs to be said, but I'm careful about just throwing out statements like that. Because I'll tell you a little story, and I and I believe with some degree of certainty that this is what it what it stemmed from. But there was a time where Colton Wong wasn't very happy with me, my former Cardinal second baseman Colton Wong. I it was in Atlanta when this happened. I want to say the year was 2019. I cannot recall if this was 2019 during the playoffs when they played Atlanta or another series because I covered series in Atlanta that year because I lived in Texas. I was still writing for KMOV. But I had family that lived in Atlanta, and so I was able to go visit them and do a little work at the same time. 
Um, whereas I was not going to games at Bush. It was a little bit weird. That was 2019 for me in a nutshell. But I remember being in the Cardinals visiting clubhouse in Atlanta and going up to Colton Wong saying, hey, man, you got a couple minutes. And he said, sure, but are you going to ask good questions or are you going to talk shit, though, or something like that? You got to talk some more shit is what he said. I'm like, talk shit, Colton Wong? What do you mean by that? He said, I don't know, man. I just I just know that, you know, you, you said some things on Twitter. I see that kind of stuff, and I don't like it. I'm like, all right, that's fair, dude. I respect that and apologize if I cross any lines. But then I go back, and I'm racking my brain. I'm like, listen, I am about as big of a homer for Colt Wong as there is out there. Try to be objective, but I just loved his game. I loved what he brought to the table, loved his energy. I'm like, of all people, I'm not going to be a guy talking trash on Colt Wong on, on Twitter, of all places. And so I thought, well, what is it? What is it that he got in his in his mind that had upset him? And so next day, I went and... Uh, go back up to him and, and, you know, he gave good answers that night. There was no problem. He was always willing to talk. But the next day I wanted to kind of clear the air further because like, hey, man, I just was wondering, did, you know, kind of what was it? Do you remember what I had said that really kind of got under your skin? And and I, you know, because if I, if I had said something out of line, I wanted to make sure to own up to that and apologize. And he said, no, man. And then he kind of talked about how this is a hard job. We're all doing our best out here. I know you've got a job to do, but, you know, we're, we're, this game's really hard is basically what he what he had to say. And there are just some things that were said that he didn't really appreciate. So he couldn't really even remember a specific tweet. But I went back through my own timeline and saw the one tweet that he might have been able to talk about, and it wasn't about him specifically. It was about the team. And I said at some point in the middle of 2019, the Cardinals are so mediocre as a team this year, was the tweet. I said they were mediocre. I, I gave a generalized flat statement about the team and one of the players must, I, to me, that had to have been it because it got a lot of retweets and likes because they were at the time, by the way. But they end up, you know, coming back, making the playoffs and making the NLCS that year. It was a great story. But there was a time in the middle of the season where they're just kind of middle of the pack, round 500. You, you'd take two steps forward, you'd take two steps back. They were mediocre. They were middle of the pack at that point. They went on a run later in the year, and the rest was history for them to be able to make the NLCS against the Nationals that year. But my point in telling you all this is, like at just one random little one-off tweet that I didn't think very much about, that I think was the thing that stuck in Colton's mind to say, this dude, screw this dude. And then he didn't see me all year, right, because I was living in Texas, which made it kind of kind of brutal. Um, but again, we were able to kind of have it out, have that conversation, and later on, it kind of makes me think, all right, don't just say stuff without being willing to back it up. That's the reason I, I, I make this comment and tell this little story. But my point with all that is right now, the Cardinals are playing like a bad team. And we've got a sample size to back it up. So this is not me going, oh, man, you know, if, if the Cardinals here get win that I said they're playing bad, this is an open secret, folks. Like, they, they know the record. They know what's happened this year, and they're as disappointed in their performance as Cardinals fans are, I'm sure. But the reality of it is we don't have to, to beat around the bush, right? Rarely am I going to do that, but I'm just going to tell you, like, yeah, they're they're playing bad baseball, and they look through half of a season like a bad team. That's what it looks like. There's reason to be hopeful that they could turn it around, but every time they almost do, every time it starts to seem like they're going to. Tonight was another example. You had a good road trip prior to London, right? You took four of six from the Nationals and the Mets. Not in that order. Mets, then Nationals. You go to London, it looks disgusting for the first game, but they win the second game, so you, you split. You're still doing all right. You come back home, 
bang, beat the Astros. That's a good team. I know they're down on their luck right now, but that's a good team that you just beat. Defending champs. All right? And then you have them on the ropes again to be able to start to build some momentum towards something, and what do you do? You lose by a bullpen blow-up. That is what is so frustrating because it just it just takes one guy not working in cohesion with the rest of the roster on a given day, even after you win a couple of games in a row, have a win streak potentially on the on the ropes that you guys could pick up, and then that and then it goes the way that it does, and you're you're right back to square one. The Cardinals have been too inconsistent to be able to get out of this out of this hole that they're in. They're 13 games below 500, and they're playing bad enough baseball on a, on a regular enough basis that it's not like you've got to be 13 games over in the second half just to get to 500. Let me just do a quick little math here. 81 games, and to be 13 over in 81 games, I'm not going to be able to do this the way that I want, but let's say 48 wins and you'd have, what, 33 losses to play 81. That's 15 over, so I'll, I'll go one off there. 47 and 34 in the second half. Let's assume right now there's 79 games. Let's assume they split the next two to be 13 games under at the halfway point. To go 47 and 34 in the second half, that's a 94 win pace. They got to be on a pace of 94 wins just to go 500. They basically have to be on a 100 win pace the second half of the season to make the playoffs. That's what it's going to be. And that still may not guarantee Jack Squat if a team like the Reds or the Brewers finds their stride and wins 85-86 instead of 83-84. That's where the Cardinals are right now. In that same team that has to go on a 100-win pace has been on nearly a 100-loss pace through the first half. So they have to basically do everything the opposite of what they've been doing. I know the players on this team. I know they've got some good talent. But if you just take the names out of it, take the emotions of knowing what you expect of these players out of it, and you look at a team with the, the stats and the track record of the St. Louis Cardinals this season, you're just going to say, yeah, it's a bad team. Like, well, you know, I can see those numbers. I can do that math. And that's where they are right now. It's a bummer, but that's the reality of where they are because they cannot get out of their own way. And look, as a team, they didn't play bad tonight. Offense was very good. They should have been able to score more runs than they did in the uh, the base-loaded situation of the sixth, I believe it was. They scored one run, still had the base-loaded one out, and they had two pop-ups, Newpar and Arenado, popping up. Maybe that was the fourth, because Arenado was still in the game when this happened. So I might be getting, uh, getting my summary conflated a little bit. Yeah, Goldsmith singled with the bases loaded. That was in the fourth inning. Newtbar pops out on the infield. Arnado pops out on the infield. The Donovan home run was happened in the sixth inning. That dude's just good. That dude, that dude, you're gonna don't trade that guy. I know we've talked about this before. Don't trade Brendan Donovan. That's your only rule, Mo. That's your only rule. Well, don't trade Goldsmith either. <laughs> but I know that's a more controversial take for some Cardinals fans. But that's a situation where they don't come through in the fourth inning and, and get more than than just the one run. Base load one out. That that's disappointing. But offensively, seven runs. I agree with Ollie. I agree with Michaelis. That should win you games in this league. It should. Michaelis didn't pitch great. But other than Michaelis and Gallegos, you really didn't have anybody that was just, oh my gosh, terrible game. No. But it only takes a couple having some struggles. And in this case, it was basically Gallegos. If he just has a good night, yeah, they win. They almost definitely win. 
But that's the point. You've got 26 guys on a roster, and you've got to not have the blow-up for one of them in these types of games. You've all got to be on your game. And there's, like, some limited struggles that are allowable, and then you you bail out your teammates, you rescue your teammates. But the floodgates opened up on Gallegos in the eighth inning. And so the Cardinals lose a game that, they again, they just can't afford to lose these games. You ha- When you have a game one and you lose it, that's not good. Not for this team that's 13 games under. Z-Man says that Holiday jumped ship right when he saw how mismanaged his team is. I think that's a kind of a boneheaded comment. No offense, Z-Man. Appreciate you for being here. But the reality is that Matt Holiday never had a like probably an in-person meeting even with the, the staff. That was in January when they found out that he was not going to do the job. Holiday thought it was a nice idea in theory to, to hop on board. And then when he started to realize, oh, I'm going to be away from my family. I'm, like It's a wonder he ever took the job in the first place. It never made sense for him and in, in his position in life. It just made no sense. So no, it's not about how mismanaged the team is. That conspiracy theory, I'm going to debunk uh, because I just I think it's completely off base. Uh, Brandon says we should not delude ourselves, which I agree. <laughs> and other Brandon says, yeah, just accept it at this point. Cardinals are bad this year. Yeah, they might be. They look that way now. I want to leave the door open for the potential of a miracle comeback because I'm not going to be that guy that believed in them in the first half and kept telling y'all, hey, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. They're going to come around. And then I completely abandon ship. And then they do it. And then I look like the jackass because I say, I won't be able to come say, see, I told you so. I still think this team should be able to, to scratch out 80 wins. I think they should be able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and do it. But nobody cares about 80 wins. If you're not making the playoffs, that's an unmitigated failure compared to what we expected of the Cardinals to begin the season. Make sure you guys subscribe to Be Shafe Daily. Make sure you subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel. Please do so if you enjoy the content. We've got daily Cardinals content coming your way, and it makes it worth my while to have you guys on board. Um, so appreciate you guys for doing so. If you're new to the stream, welcome. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button, too. We're up to 16. I'm sure we can get to 20 as uh, we just passed the 1 a.m. hour in the central time zone. Going to get through the rest of these comments, and then we're going to bounce because I know it is going to be uh, a, a tough situation to get out of bed tomorrow morning if we stay up too late. We, meaning me. Been a long week. Thomas says, when I see relievers throw non-competitive pitches out of the bullpen, I question their preparation. Yeah, I mean, that's what Jordan Hicks had to say, honestly, coming into uh, some of those situations earlier in the year where he admitted that he didn't feel like his prep and the way he was attacking his in-between, right? The throwing, the the long toss, every little thing that you do to prepare for a game off the field, off the, uh, you know, under the bright lights is one thing, but to do it in every moment of your, your kind of existence as a professional athlete Hicks kind of admitted and acknowledged, yeah, I was maybe being a little lax on some of those things, and I didn't even really realize it until somebody kind of got with me and said, hey, dude, you know, you got to you gotta recommit yourself to these things, and he did and has had some success since then. But for me, it's non-competitive pitches, but also the, the ones that are balls is one thing, and you're way out of the zone, and it's like, what are you doing? But the ones that are strikes, like Gallegos, the home run ball to Altuve, that pitch cannot happen in a two-strike count. It just can't. And it's happened too many times, and that's it tells the story of the season for the Cardinals when those things are happening. Dennis says Sports Illustrated has a story tonight about the Mets possibly moving Scherzer, the Cardinals being a possible trade partner. Yeah, man, it's tough for me because uh, I just I don't know what you do. That's a short-term guy. I guess he's under a contract for next year, or is it one-year deal for Scherzer? I can't remember. 
but like they're not the Cardinals can't be buying at the deadline. They got to be trading for the the types of pitchers that aren't making a lot of money necessarily and they're still under team control from their rookie deal. That's kind of the way it needs to be because you need to look to 2024 and beyond um, to be able to write this ship. Dennis says he has no confidence in the pitching coach, no pro experience. Mo is placing coaches and managers without experience, only concerned about running analytics. No, like the buzzword of analytics is is very misunderstood, I think, among the fan base. Analytics are good. It's not a negative thing to make fun of or to say is no good. And I'll even said tonight, like the numbers don't make these managerial decisions for you. You need to know the numbers before the game to put yourself in the best position to lead and to make those choices. But like, that's not controversial. That's something that every Cardinals fan should be on board with. And analytics just means knowing the numbers and knowing the data behind these decisions, knowing the trends. That's all analytics is. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So don't, let's not decry analytics as the, 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 the culpability for, for bad baseball. If anything, the Cardinals have been behind on some of the analytics in recent years, and that has been why they've been able, unable to be successful. You know what the analytics would tell you? Freaking miss more bats. Quit allowing pitch to contact to be the way you build your, your organization from a pitching perspective. If like That's the problem, is not doing enough of, of the things that modern analytics would tell you when you baseball games. What I'll say about Dusty Blake is he's not proven a darn thing this year. I don't know that it's his fault. I think he's a quality coach. He's the players said a lot of nice things about him before the season, but no, it's true. Like he's not proven that he is doing a great job. Like I, I, maybe he is in over his head. I don't know. I think he's a sharp guy, but we're not seeing results. So I'm going to blame everybody. I'm going to say the coaching has not been able to fix what the poor performance of the players has led to. And uh, you know, I don't know that making him a scapegoat makes a lot of sense. I would prefer to say, look, John Mozalak should have recognized that they didn't have the horses in the rotation, in the bullpen, and what's he going to do about it? If he's going to stay the guy, if he's going to stay in charge of this team through through 2025 or through at least next season, what's he going to do to rebuild this thing and retool it rather quickly? That should be the question to me. Einstein says, I just kind of see the Cardinals doing what the Blues did at the deadline. Stay put, maybe sell a couple rentals, enough to stay competitive next season, which they should. They should, but I think you sell Jordan Hicks if he looks good still because he's going to have value. You sell Montgomery, even though I do think there's an argument to be made that Montgomery would turn down the qualifying offer if you gave him one because he's going to get a multi-year deal the way he's pitching. And so you you got to get a prospect or a package better than whatever you'd get in terms of the uh, the qualifying draft pick when he signs somewhere else in the offseason. But I think if he continues to pitch well, he could be one of the more sought-after starters on the on the market at the end of July. Flaherty, you trade, but you, you only can trade him if he pitches well in July. It's going to be very finicky when it comes to Jack Flaherty. But I'd trade him all. I also want to issue a mea culpa, and, and there's only 33 people watching live right now. I don't know how many people will see this later on. But I needed to say something quick about Paul DeYoung. I may have been wrong about the idea that they would not consider picking up his contract next year, the uh, the team option, because I had it in my head that it was like $20 million. And nobody ever corrected me that I saw. It's not. It's $12.5 million, but what's more is they got to pay him a $2 million buyout regardless. So if they don't want to bring Paul D back next year, the buyout is going to dictate that basically the difference is more like $10 million, $10.5, than even the $12.5 that would be his full 2024 salary. And the way he's playing, I don't think it's crazy to think that that's not a bad value. Um, I don't think Mason Wynn is just the guarantee to do offensively what Paul D has done this year. Certainly not from a power perspective, but I like OPS 
DeYoung's got a 767 OPS. If Mason Wynn did that, I think you'd be really happy with it. I'm skeptical that he's ever going to be that level of hitter at the big league level. So I don't know what they're going to do with DeYoung. I don't know that they're going to bring him back or they're not. I just wanted to make sure I said it live, and I'll say it again on future podcasts for those who may not hear this one. I, I'm i not any longer going to say it's a promise, a guarantee that DeYoung does not get that option picked up because the number is less than I thought it was. I don't know why I thought it was 20. It's not. It's 12 and a half, which is really like 10 and a half because they'd have to pay him a buyout if they don't bring him back, which could then get into a con- conversation about, well, should they trade him? Yes, if he has value would be my answer because then you can get yourself out of the $2 million buyout if you didn't want to bring him back and maybe get a piece for him. And if they're tanking it anyway this season, bring up Mason Wynn, see what he see what he can do. I don't know. I don't think it's the craziest idea, but I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Like, I was very definitive in past podcasts that DeYoung was not going to be here next year. That's maybe not correct because the the number on the salary was less than I realized. So that's my bad, guys. Ethan says I think the positioning of this year should be seen as half full. Take the uncharacteristic down year to sell off extra pieces we wouldn't in an average competitive year set up for years to come. I think that's what trading rentals would do. And the rentals are Montgomery, Flaherty, Hicks, and technically Stratton as well. But I don't know that you're going to get anything for him. So I would trade anybody that's on a rental contract that has value because I don't think any of those pitchers come back next year. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. That's kind of the way I look at it. I'm going to scroll up a little bit higher, see the comments that I may have missed. Andrew says, uh, thanks for the continued content, Brendan. Uh, appreciate it. Andrew, thank you for saying that, brother. I appreciate you saying that a lot. Uh, Giovanni's no good, very bad day. Einstein put it well. Got to win tomorrow. No other way to slice it. Yeah, and Wayno's on the bump. If ever they needed a Wayno bounce back, it is tomorrow. I think that's right, isn't it? Adam Wainwright for uh, for next day's game. How can I find that quickly? Let's go on a little treasure hunt here. You guys see Manifest, the show? On uh, used to be on NBC, finished up on Netflix. The treasure hunt thing was a reference to that, but uh, really liked that show. Finally finished it up. Wayne Wright is pitching tomorrow against uh, some dude named France. I think it's JP France. He shoots, he scores. It is JP France. I know that because I have him on a fantasy team. But Wayne Wright, six and a half ERA. Yes, tomorrow has to be a good Wayno outing. If it's a bad one, oh boy. Yeah, he's got to be good. Like this stream if you could. Get this up to 20 for me, guys, as I kind of scroll through the rest of these comments real quick. Um, Yep, Will said it on Twitter. Seven runs has to win you the game. He also said, what can we say that hasn't already been said? Be safe. Like, seriously, this team is consistently inconsistent. That's the phrase. That's the one. Childish Gambino had said, uh, this one is not on Ollie to me. Gallego says his role, and he didn't do it. I agree with that. And by the way, if you think Geo's role should not be that anymore, totally get it. His ERA is one of the higher in the bullpen at this point. And so if that's how you feel, I'm not going to argue against you. I just don't know who you have reliably to replace him. Luckily, Hicks looks like a dude right now. That may not last forever. 
Thank you for the 20th like, by the way. That may not last forever, but while it's going, you write it out, and then you probably trade him if he's continuing it because, my goodness, he'll be the most sought-after reliever at the deadline if he's continuing to pitch the way that he has the past two weeks. But other than that, who do you have in this bullpen that you're feeling good about right now? Woodford had a nice game in London. Nice couple of games, actually. Steven Matz looked good in London. Those are the other two guys. I named the six relievers earlier. Matz and Woodford are the other two guys in this bullpen right now. Because you got Pallante Stratton, Gallegos for Hagen. Those four, that's half your bullpen, all ERA of higher than four. Steven Matz, we know his ERA is above four. I think he's been better than that as a reliever, though. Uh, Woodford, I his ERA is probably above four. Off the top of my head, I don't know what it is. Um, I can't spell. But it's probably not been that great. Yep, 506. They got nobody with a sub four ERA in the whole bullpen. These four, I'm just doing the math right now. Who am I missing? These four, Cabrera's is five. Woodford's is five. Steven Matz, we'll go Matt Stats, type that in, 5.19. And Verhagen, well, he pitched today. Who's the other guy? I can't keep track of this stuff. It's too late at night for this. But, I mean, that's the nature of the beast at this point, guys. They don't have good relievers. Or they don't have relievers performing well. Any of them could turn it around. That's possible in theory. But you got to look at what a guy's numbers are in the given season that we're in, and then you can talk about the player in that way. Say, you know what? Not playing well. Not pitching well. Not performing well. At some point, that just becomes reality, and they don't have anybody in that bullpen that you go, yep, he's been nails, and he's been nails for a full season. Nope. It's it's fits and starts. It's hit and miss. It's on and off. It's hot and cold. I think Katy Perry wrote a song about the Cardinals bullpen, actually. Um, But ultimately, it's just negative news. Robert says the good news is that Hicks is well-rested for tomorrow. That is good news because they might need multiple innings out of him. Maybe that's how they win today. They, they throw Hicks for two innings instead. But on a, on a back-to-back, that may not have been possible. Childish adds, uh, just seems like when the Cardinals get on some kind of roll, they torpedo it and go into a horrible stretch. Hope that doesn't happen again. Yeah, they had won six of their past eight coming into tonight, so I guess now it's six of nine. Nice. But at the same time, they need more than that. They need to do six of nine and then do it again and again and again. And then maybe you win the division with 82 games. Like, that's the path at this point. And it's not a friendly one. It's not one that you can have a lot of faith in. But that's where the Cardinals are, folks. It's not fun. Anthony says, be shape preaching. Appreciate Anthony for being here. More blown saves than games behind 500 is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. 16 blown saves, 13 games below 500. And there are a lot of games below 500. So the fact that they have more blown saves than games below 500 is a notable trend. Einstein says, I think I commented yesterday. Don't think it'll happen. But what kind of return does Hicks get to a team like the Rangers who are trying to win now and need bullpen help? If he pitches the way that he's pitching right now and he does it for another month, I I refuse to believe that's not a huge return. I refuse to believe that Hicks would not be the most sought-after reliever on the market. Let's say he's got five saves in two weeks since becoming the closer. Let's say he goes another four weeks and picks up 10 more saves. Right there, you're in the last week of July. He's got 15 for 15 on saves. He's probably got an ERA of 1.2 at that point. He is the most sought-after reliever on the market. So, yeah, you're getting legit prospects. At least one. I refuse to believe otherwise. 
but he's got to actually do that. He's because he's been inconsistent this year. So he's got to continue to do it here. Einstein says, did I see the Herman perfect game? Domingo Herman, uh, he was, he was abusing the A's. Google Domingo Herman abuse to learn more. I, re- I regret that I even read that comment, Einstein. You put me in a bind there. Yeah, Domingo Herman, not not a great history off the field. And so kind of feels weird to be celebrating uh, a guy like that on the field. But that is the nature of sports. Sometimes guys aren't good off the field. Um, and yeah, it is what it is on that one. But perfect game hasn't happened in a while. I, I think it happened against the Athletics, though. So that's not, I don't know if that counts. Anyway. Einstein says, I like to imagine that all he sees you about to ask the question is like, oh, this guy right now in his head right now. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I I don't know what m- the impression of me is, but I, I hope that I'm not that that much of a, of a drag on his day. I mean, I, I try to ask a question that I thought was even a little bit favorable, give him a chance to say, you know what? It's true. Look at the numbers. Gallegos has not been the guy that you go back to back. Oh, no. Like, that's not Ben Gio this year. He's been fine in back to backs. So that's what it is. Scotty chiming in. Good morning, Brendan and Cardinal Nation. Last night was not brilliant, but I'm honestly going to say that's just baseball. I believe we're coming good and about to start climbing the division. Scotty, you might be the one person on this stream that thinks that. I I admire your optimism because everybody else is a little bit uh, down and out right now. Uh, Cabrera has been shaky recently too, says Redbirds, and he's right. His ERA is five. Like that is just where it is right now for the Cardinals. And I still feel like I've, I've forgotten one dude, and so I'm going to do the bold step. And if you're watching this on YouTube, first of all, please subscribe. Secondly, I want to look at the roster and see who the hell I'm missing out of the bullpen. Let's go depth chart. Is that going to help? Um, Higgs guy goes for Hagen Cabrera. That's four. Palante Mats, that's six. Stratton Woodford. No, I have all eight. And all of them are above four on the ERA. The last holdout was, uh, well, was Gallegos until tonight. And now his ERA is almost five. So that's pretty neat. Yep. Gio made some terrible pitches. That's all. And it's not him. He can change it around. Um, I don't know if the implication there was um, that it was Contreras' fault or something else. Tonight is not the Gio that we know is what I'm saying. He needs to fix these mistakes ASAP, though. Yes, I agree with that, Redbirds. He does. The Cardinals need him to because they don't have anybody else to turn to. You could throw out some Jake Walshes and some guys from the minors, I guess, to kind of mix it up, but they don't have anybody. They're in a they're in a bind with this bullpen because there's nobody that you want to DFA necessarily, but there's nobody that's been great or even good because if you're not under four on your ERA as a reliever, I'd say you're not having a very good season. That's not going to get the job done. That's not cutting the mustard. Brutal. Josh jumps in, says, uh, refusing to believe the eighth inning happened tonight. You know what, Josh? If that's how you feel, brother, you're going to bed happy. <laughs> because that was where everything went to hell. Brandon uh, Brandon H. saying it's cool to see the channel growing, by the way. And I appreciate that, dude. Um, the growth has slowed down a little bit now that I'm not, like, spamming everybody saying, please subscribe. Like, I was doing that on Twitter, sending out DMs. Now we're just going to let YouTube do its course and see what we can do. But, yes, it's been awesome uh, to grow like we have. My job is to do consistent content in July. After the 4th of July holiday, it's going to be a lot more consistent. We'll we'll have a couple of days off with the holiday, and my birthday is on Saturday. So even though the Yankees are in town, I know, I get it. I won't be at these games. I won't be at the Yankees series. Um, 
yesterday actually was uh, my grandma's funeral. If you guys have been watching uh, my, my content, you know I talked about my nana passing away, and so they had the funeral. But over the weekend, um, we're going to the family farm to uh, to, uh, to to spread her ashes and stuff like that. So I, I'll try to maybe do some content. I say that, but over the weekend, it just may not happen. Just know that after 4th of July, we're going to hit it hard because I think we're going to have a lot of trade deadline stuff to talk about. And so YouTube... If you want Cardinals content, there are great channels. Like I can, I can shout out other channels. Charlie Marlowe does an awesome job. You should be following him on on YouTube. Um, he's got like six thousand subs on his uh, main channel. And he talks a lot of Cardinals baseball, and he's really good at it. You should subscribe to him. But I would make the case that we do about as as, as good and are as plugged in as any of the YouTube channels that are doing this kind of stuff specific to Cardinals baseball. Because I I do when I can go to a lot of these home games and cover them and, and boots on the ground. And so hopefully you find the perspective valuable that we bring, but if you do subscribe, that's what I would ask of you and make sure you like these videos as well. And, uh, when it comes to, uh, Spotify, you can follow B shape daily over there. That's just for the audio only version of the show. So make sure you guys, uh, check that out. If you like the podcast over there, I'm going to get into Jeff B's comment here. He said, here's some fun stats, 161 runs, 46 home runs, 159 RBI, 24 stolen bases, a 282 average, a 361 on base, and an 859 OPS. What is that? It's a lot of numbers. It sounds like a very good offensive player if you'd like to have that. He says that's the uh, Adolis Garcia, Randy Rosarena, and Lane Thomas combined numbers so far this season. Yikes. Okay, here's what I'll say about that. Adolis Garcia, yes, that was kind of a miss. But that was a miss that everybody in MLB had because the Cardinals basically DFA'd him. Nobody even picked him up. The Rangers picked him up, but then they DFA'd him, were able to bring him back when nobody picked him up. And that was one that I just don't think a lot of people saw coming. But yeah, it's a bummer when you look at the revolving door of the Cardinals outfield and how they have not been able to be consistent with the guys that they've had in there. That's brutal. It's just kind of one of those things. A Rosarain is different. You thought you were at least getting a good pitcher in Matthew Libertor. That's why I think it's so important in part to make sure you give him an opportunity to see what he can do because you did give up a very nice piece to get him. He was a high schooler when he was drafted straight out of high school, and so you understand it may take some time to to grow and learn and, and get better and improve. Now he's at that age, though, where it's like, okay, is he a prospect? Is he a guy that can join a rotation? Let's see what it looks like. The Cardinals have not gotten a lot of return on the Randy Rosarena trade. There's no other way to slice that. But Lane Thomas, I'm, I may actually even just go ahead and pull this up. Um, because that's one where, if you remember the end of his Cardinals tenure, which I think he was traded for, which one was it? Uh, Lester. It was Lester at the trade deadline, which Lester gave the Cardinals some good innings that, that season down the stretch. But his numbers in 2021, Lane Thomas with the Cardinals, he was awful. And he looked awful to the eye test as well. I was on the lane train, folks. I was Team Lane Thomas. Look, I highlighted here, these are his numbers from that 2021 season. He had a 104 batting average. I'm not kidding you. That was his, and it felt like it. He had a 104 average. He was bad in the field. He looked lost. It was very strange. Um, A 125 slug. Not a huge sample. 58 plate appearances. But like, if you're hitting 104, how many teams are going to give you more than 58 plate appearances? He was as bad as it could possibly be. Now, two years on, he looks pretty good, right? The numbers this year have been, have been nice for Lane Thomas. 
Here's his numbers. 864 OPS, 14 home runs is the same amount as Paul Goldschmidt. And, like, he immediately turned into a better player going to the Nationals. Has been a pretty solid piece for them last two and a half years. I don't know what it was, man. He looked uh, he looked just completely lost in 2021. So that's a bummer that that's true, Jeff. Those numbers are legit. That's been what it's been. But I, I don't even know what else Bozalak was supposed to do with Lane Thomas. But trade him, get him to a change of scenery, and they got a piece for him where they were able to, to, to use John Lester to help him out down the stretch that year. You know, they end up going to the playoffs that year. I don't know what else they were supposed to have done. Lane Thomas was not looking good when he was with the Cardinals at the time. But we can close him out, get back to the, uh, we'll show you the lineup because the lineup had some good things today from the Cardinals. But we're about to wrap this thing up. Two for seven with risk, six left on base. I know we always like to check those numbers. But generally a nice day. You get 11 hits. Like Christian Javier is a really good pitcher for the Astros and the Cardinals did well against him. Joshua says, I'd be interested to see if the Cardinals do find themselves in a semi-buying position at the deadline, even if they'd add bullpen arms. With Geo's blow up, him with Hicks, Helsley is nasty. Add one starter? Question mark. I don't know if Hicks, Geo, Helsley is nasty this year. I, I think there's a case to be made that it could be, but the inconsistency of really all three of them have kind of made it difficult. There's just no way to really pin it down and say, okay, these are your 7th, 8th, and ninth, and those guys are going to be nails. You don't know for sure that that's going to be the case because they haven't really been able to consistently do it all at the same time. I think semi-buying to me, Josh, would look like this. Trading the rentals. Yes, Hicks. Yes, Montgomery and Flaherty. If he's got value, I would trade them all. I would recruit prospects. And if I got to use prospects for the young players that I get in those deals to then go find me a starting pitcher that's under control for next year and maybe even 2025 if you're lucky, somebody that you can can rely upon in your rotation – that's the way you semi-buy. But but they're too far out of this race to not entertain what the values would be on their, their rental players, like Montgomery and Hicks in particular. I get the point, but I just don't see... And you certainly can't buy rental relievers. 13 games under 500. They'd have to make a huge run to be buying relievers that are, that are anything but rentals. But then I, all I really want would be a rental reliever as well. Because the, the multi-year relievers, usually by like year two, they stop being good. And then you're on the hook for whatever their salary is in arbitration and the like. That's not the way I want to get relievers. I want to trade for them in the years in which my team is doing well. And if you're not doing well, don't bother trading for relievers. Trade for a starter. Absolutely. Will says Mo continues that the team has the talent to win the division this season. We're at July almost. When is he expecting things to change? It's a great question. That's going to begin to fall on deaf ears if it hasn't already. The confidence they have has been good. So what makes you think it's going to suddenly change? It's fair. Brandon S. says the season's cooked. They need to get everything they can for everyone not named Nolan, Paul, or Jordan. Then spend their asses. Oh, spend their asses off come off season. Well, no, I, I think you need to trade both Jordans. In fact, not Walker. That's the one he was talking about. Um, I, I we lost OBS for a second. I think we're back. Hopefully, this is is not going to ruin the uh, ruin Christmas for everybody. But we are actually about at the end of the road here. But I agree. You don't trade Walker. You don't trade Nolan or Paul. You don't trade Gordon, Gordon Gorman, that Nolan. You might. I mean, you could, but you probably shouldn't. 
Paul DeYoung? Is that who you're saying to keep? Because there's a lot of multi-names. You just gave the three guys on this team that everybody else has the same name as them. Two Nolans, multiple Pauls, three Jordans, two of which need to be traded because they're they're expiring contracts. So anyway, fun with numbers, fun with names. Brandon wants to know if Hudson could have any value at all in the bullpen. It's fair to ask, but I'm skeptical of it. I'm skeptical of it. Um, If there is a role for Hudson, Woodford covers it. Yeah, that's fair too. Hudson did look good in 2018 down the stretch as a reliever, but that's a world away. Trading Pauly D to make room for a win would be kind of good, Einstein says. I agree if Pauly D has any trade value. I, I have truly no idea what teams would necessarily want him. But the numbers dictate that they should. All those offseason shortstops that signed other than Dansby have been pretty bad, and Paul DeYoung is chugging along. So credit, I mean, they do get credit for that, but it's just not enough. One guy exceeding expectations on a 26-man roster is not enough. People don't give credit to Ollie for making Hicks the closer like they should either, is what Einstein says. They're all waiting until he blows one to criticize the move. Yeah, dude, they're going to criticize when things go wrong, and they're going to say not very much when Ollie pulls the right strings. That's the reality of it. Geo's role would be closing if Ollie didn't make the decision to use Hicks. Yeah, it would have been the safe thing to just kind of keep Geo in the role because that was like what you've seen before. It was correct to give Hicks that bump up, and he, he's responded well to it. No doubt. Dude, Twitter, if they pick up as a young option, would be hilarious. <laughs> they should do it. It would be pretty funny. It would be pretty funny. All right, guys, I appreciate your support tonight. Subscribe to the channel before you leave if you're brand new. Appreciate that you guys were here, but I am going to bow out at this point because it's 1.30 a.m. So thank you guys so much for joining tonight. That's going to be it for this edition of Be Safe Daily Live. Subscribe, follow in all the locations. My podcast is on Spotify and Apple. It's on YouTube. Everything you need to find is going to be on this YouTube channel. Fantasy football fans, go to my YouTube channel and find that there's also a fantasy channel that I'll be starting up as well. Throw a sub to that one, too, if you want to be nice. Uh, That one's just getting off the ground. It's going to be like a labor of love this fall, especially if the Cardinals are out of it. No, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll keep doing Cardinals videos. But thank you guys so much for sticking with me tonight, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily Live. Peace.